I'm ready to talk about the gospel. Are you ready to talk about the gospel? So today we are in Revelation, but I want you to turn to chapter 1 of Revelation. This morning's sermon title is Jesus and His Gospel. That will make sense as we get into our specific passage in Revelation. But I want to begin in chapter 1. It's been a while since we've had... Uh, more of a high-level overview. And before we get into where we are in Revelation this morning, what I, want, what I want you to sit in, in John's introduction to this, I want you to sit in his words to grasp what he's attempting to communicate and all of the details that we're sitting in in the prophecy of Revelation. From chapter 6 on, and we're in chapter 14 now, there's this, there's this major crescendo in God's judgment and in humanity's sin and rejection. And we see little bright spots of those who are turning to the Lord. But again, it's, it's pretty horrific. And it's painful to study the hope, the joy, the, the position of um, just praise and gratitude towards God is that the presentation of the gospel is crescendoing at the same time. God has made it very clear in our own lives in regards to who he is, if we listen to him and if we turn in. But listen to uh, John's words here in the very beginning. Revelation chapter 1 says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is the goal that I've had the entire time of communicating that we will have all of our attention on Jesus because this is unveiling him. God gave to Jesus to show his servants, that would be you and me as his followers, things which must shortly take place, so future events. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God. So John, everything that he's writing, he is giving testimony. These are God's words. And to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw, we're going to sit in one, another one of the blessings today. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood and has made us kings and priests or a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. Behold, Jesus is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. And John, is, he's, again, as he's introducing this, God gave this to me. There is a favor, there is a blessing for us as we read this, as we study this, as we keep these things. It is all in regards to who God is as Father, Son, and Spirit, who Jesus is and what he has done for us in creating us and loving us and washing us from our sins and saving us from death, what he has made us to become, something that we were not apart from him, but something that we are in him for all eternity. Jesus is coming. Again, that's information that we need to keep before our eyes because, again, chapters 12 and 13 of Revelation, I think, are some of the more painful and revealing uh, just realities of the world in which we live. There is a spiritual world. God is spirit, whatever spirit is, and he has created spiritual beings and us, uh, we are spirits, and we are these bodies of flesh. We are told that when Adam and Eve sinned, their spirit died. And that the only way our spirit is alive, made alive, being born again, is to be born from above, being born of the spirit through faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But in this spiritual world, there are rebels, 
opposers, accusers, deceivers, Satan at the head. And everything that Satan does in this world is attempting to counterfeit. He wants to make himself to be like the creator. So everything that he does is, in, is a counterfeit to what is real and what is true. He has a counterfeit world ruler, the Antichrist, the anti-Jesus. Sat in that information, he has, a, he has an anti-prophet, an anti-priest, this false prophet that we've sat in. Uh, again, the, the revelation of what is coming and the deception that's in the world today. But in chapter 14, we shift into... Good news, because even as the bad news in, is crescendoing, the consequences of sin crescendos. It becomes greater and greater. God's judgment gets more and more. It just gets more the closer that we draw to him sending his son again as king. Let's read through this. My goal is to finish 14 today. Um, I doubt that we'll finish it. We're going to read through the rest of chapter 14, but we'll see how far we get and comment. But the focus this morning is really on the good news. Then I saw, this is uh, chapter 14, verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, a great voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And just by way of reminder, this is contrast. The world at this point, uh, just in the section above, they are worshiping Satan. They are worshiping the Antichrist. And here's the proclamation. No, fear God. Give the true and living God glory. Worship him who made everything, not the creature. Verse 8. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city... Because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience, the endurance of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, who had the power over fire. And he cried with a loud cry to him who sat, sorry, to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his, his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. 
and the winepress was trampled outside the city, and the blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for 1,600 furlongs. Gross. I thought you said this was good news this morning. We're going to focus on the first verses. Like I said, we'll see if we get to the later ones or not. So, I got a question. What's the gospel? Good news. That word comes from uh, uh, this Greek word where we get evangelical today. So, you ever heard the term evangelical Christian? It's a stupid title. And this, this is why. Every single believer in Jesus Christ is an evangelical Christian. We believe in the good news and we proclaim the good news. That's the title. That's, that's what it means. We sit in a culture today that redefines words. So you always have to pay attention to the dictionary. The term evangelical today in our country, for me, it's a political term. Here, here's a group of specific, you know, we're going to categorize these people in this category, and we're going to use them, uh, you know, as, as a political voting block. Because, again, when we sit in the body of Christ, there is no distinction. The New Testament is really clear. There's not even male or female in Christ. There is not a Jew or Gentile in Christ. We have been made one through faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. This is the good news. But when we sit in the gospel, so the, God, the word gospel, good news, is used 77 times in the New Testament. And I would encourage you to go, if you have a concordance, software, Google, and go sit in all the passages that talk about the gospel. The gospel of Mark, its first sentence says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we sit in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what are identified as the gospels, it is good news about this man who is God, who became a man, and who he is, and who he was, and what he did. So the good news about Jesus, it it encompasses his entire life as the eternal God before the heavens and the earth were even created, as the God who created the heavens and the earth, and his interaction with humanity all throughout the Old Testament, what he did by becoming a man, what he taught, how he served, how he lived his life, how he willingly gave his life as a perfect sacrifice for our sins, so that as we approach him in faith, he washes us in his blood and makes us clean. He gives to us his holiness. He gives to us his righteousness. And his, the testimony in regards to the acceptance of that sacrifice is his resurrection. He did not stay dead, but he took his life back to himself, rose again from the dead, seen by his followers, proclaimed by his followers. He was watched to ascend to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit. Again, this is all good news. Yes? But then there's specific facets of the good news. When Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism, and then he begins his public ministry, out of his mouth flows the words for repent. And remember, he's talking to a Jewish culture. He's talking to people who believe in God. And the reality that we need to have this continual position of repentance towards God, freedom from ourselves, freedom from religion, freedom from the world's ways, freedom from our own self, and this constant attention and this constant turning to him. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he, you watch Jesus, in, especially in the Gospels, it is, he is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So as we sit in Revelation, the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of God is being contrasted continually. But the gospel is related, the good news is related to God and his sovereignty and his kingdom is coming because when we look at the kingdoms of the world, we all sit in brokenness. Not a a single one of them is right, and not a single one of them has ever been right. In Acts, 
Paul called, well, Luke writing, but he's quoting Paul. Paul calls the gospel the gospel of grace. Here's this good news about God's grace, who he is as a gracious God, that he gives to us things that we do not deserve. Mercy is God withholds from us the punishment that is due. Grace is God granting to us. He, he gives us himself. He gives us his life, not because we deserve it, not because it's owed, but it's, it's the free expression of who he is as we come to him, as he demands us, and that's through Jesus and Jesus alone. In Romans, it's called the gospel of God. So it's not just the gospel of Jesus. This is sourced, the, the, the gospel, the good news, is sourced from the almighty God himself. It's the gospel of God. It's the gospel of his son. In Romans, Paul calls it my gospel. He takes this. This is, this is the good news that has been brought into my life. And you watch Paul as he conveys that good news. What Jesus has done in him, he turns around and conveys that information to others. In 2 Corinthians 4, it's called the gospel of the glory of Christ. When you sit about in the word glory, it's the weight, it's the splendor, it's the light. In Ephesians, it's called the gospel of our salvation. What, it, what, is, what does the good news mean to you in regards to what has God saved you from? I mean, think about it. What, it, what has he delivered you from? He's delivered me from my de- death, from shackles, from thoughts, from damage. The gospel, the good news of your salvation. It's called, it's called the gospel of peace. There is he's dealing with spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6 that our feet are supposed to be shod with the preparation, the, the gospel of peace. Here, it's called the everlasting gospel, and it's without the, it's without the devil, uh, definite article, the, so it's just in the Greek. It's, here's this angel in the midst of heaven, which is the zenith, so he's directly above us, and he's proclaiming to the world everlasting good news. And tied to this angel's message is judgment. Judgment, the judgment of God, the wrath of God against sin is good news. Yes or no? That's hard to receive. We're going to read in a few weeks third bowl as it's poured out all the waters become blood and heaven says God you are righteous because you have judged these things for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink for it is their just due God's righteous judgment And all of the horror of being separated from God is good news. So when we sit in the gospel, it's more than just, hey, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for your sin. Believe in him and everything will be okay. It's it's a lot deeper than that. How many of you have had good news come into your life from your God as you're dealing with a circumstance that's not dealing with your salvation? Have, have any of you ever lost a job? Have any of you ever missed a paycheck? Have any of you ever wondered where your provision was going to come from? And God reminds you that I am your provider. I will take care of you. That's good news. Have any of you ever been sick, received that information for the doctor that it's not good news coming from this source? But God tells you, I'm your healer. I'm your God. How many of you have ever struggled with a prodigal, a child who is rebellious against the gospel? And God comes to you and says, I love you, and I love your child. They're mine. I'm hunting them. I am chasing them. The good good news comes from God in all different forms. But here's the thing. The gospel 
First thing, we have the information, we have the knowledge, we have the content, we have that word that may be dealing with the gospel of salvation, the gospel of peace. It may just be good news that God is speaking to you and your circumstance or good news that you need to be able to give to somebody else. And that's the idea the gospel must be preached. So in the 77 usages of the word gospel, I don't know how many of them, but it's clearly that the gospel is being communicated. How is the the gospel sent out into the world? How? Opening your mouth. This is who Jesus is. This is who he's revealed himself to be. This is how he has changed my life. This is what he has saved me from. This is what I'm struggling with today. This is what I'm praying about. This is what I'm hoping in the future. Here's where I get all of this information from. The gospel must be preached. It's proclaimed. It's announced. When that announcement goes out, what do the hearers do? Because gospel's heard, right? So you proclaim it. At some time in history, somebody proclaimed to you, preached to you the gospel. What did you do? Did you believe or did you reject? Did you reject to begin with? Or are you still in rejection now? But this is, this is, this is, the gospel is something, that news, that information is something that is seized upon. You, it's been given to you, you grasp it, and you take it to yourself. You have to believe it. And in that faith, the gospel, it's this faith in Jesus, in all of his, in his name, right? We just sang about there's no other name given to us. It's his name. This is why we did the t-shirts. It's all about him. The information all revolves around him. There's a hope in him in this information. So the gospel is, it has its content, its information, in all of its variety, and all of its fullness, and all of its little slivers. It has to be proclaimed. You got to preach it to yourself. You got to remind yourself about the nature and character of God every single day, because the moment that we forget, then we're sitting in our own wisdom. And when we sit in our own wisdom and our own hope, that's when things break apart. The gospel has to be believed in, trusted in, hoped in, And another word that revolves around the gospel is it must be obeyed. How do you like that word? You and I must obey Jesus. How are you doing with that? It's hard. I have my ideas, my opinions how I think the circumstance needs to go down, what I think about this, what I think about that. We just had a, we had a really difficult conversation this morning in prayer. What do you think, what do you think about divorce and, and remarriage? You know, how do you walk alongside of that life circumstance? How do, you, how do you honor the word of God, honor the Lord, Honor your brother and sister as you you walk alongside of each other in very difficult circumstances. We need to be obedient, not to each other, but obedient to the commands of God. The gospel must be obeyed. And if we don't obey the gospel, what are you doing? You're hindering it. If I don't submit myself, my mind, my heart, my words, my actions to the truth of the gospel, that means I am in rebellion against God, and that means I am hindering the good news in my life, and I am hindering the good news in the life of others. The gospel not only is to be believed, this good news is to be obeyed. Not in legalism, not in self-righteousness, just in the changed, transformed, new heart, new mind, new words that are in our mouth as we interact with the human beings that he allows us to interact with. The gospel is not only to be obeyed, it's to be served. This word in regards to Paul ministered the gospel to community after community. 
to believers and unbelievers. It was, it was, an, it was uh, something that as he obeyed and as he proclaimed, there was a service to God and a service to men and women. We are told that it is in the gospel, it's this good news in which we fellowship, in which we have relationship with one another. You know, we don't, we're not gathered in this place this morning because we are in relationship with the philosophy of ministry or a religious idea or some hobby. We are fellowshipping together. We are participating in each other's life this morning because of the name of Jesus and the good news that revolves around him. And the gospel is also something that is to be defended. You know, we need to be ready day in and day out to defend in a way, and this is where the, you know, apologetics comes in. You know, if somebody comes to you and has a legitimate question of why you hope in the name of Jesus, that you're ready to give them the answer. You know, do you know why that you believe in Jesus? Is it because you're raised in the church or because mom and dad did? Or, you know, do you know what you've been saved from? Like I said last, last week, we we're talking about the declaration of independence. You, you know, sitting in... Uh, Sitting down in that writing, being able to declare yourself independent from the tyranny of Satan and to be governed by Jesus and Jesus alone, being ready to give that answer, those, that defense, that apologetics. And this is the thing. In Galatians, Paul talks about another gospel, a different gospel, a perverted gospel. So when we talk about the good news in regards to Jesus Christ, there are many messages that have nothing to do with the biblical narrative at all. It's, it's a different gospel. It's a perversion. It has nothing to do with what is true. And we, all, we hear these messages day in and day out from some well-meaning people and from some malicious people. But here, there is in the future, and this is here in the middle of the tribulation, chronologically and time-wise, there is this angel that John sees. Now, is this in reality and the senses in this time in history? Is humanity going to see and hear this? Or is this just a vision in regards to the proclamation of what is known as the everlasting gospel, which again is preached, preached to those who dwell on the earth. And again, those who dwell on the earth, that's a negative term throughout the book of Revelation, that it's defining those who do not have a, a relationship with God. And here, even, even after everything that we've read up until this point, God is continuing to amplify the message of the gospel to humanity. He amplifies the gospel in my life today. You know, as I, the, more, the, the longer I walk with him, the greater he turns up the power of the message of the gospel and all of its facets in my life. And it's, it's wonderful. Here, this is, this is wonderful hope for me in regards to God's nature and his character even when Satan turns up the dial of persecution to attend, what does God do? He dials up the message of his son above and beyond anything that Satan can possibly do in deception. Does that make sense? Like Satan's power doesn't compare to God's power at all. And here God is amplifying the gospel. And the, this... this the facet of the good news at this time, the facet that we need to sit in this morning is that exhortation for each one of us to fear, to have reverence, to have respect for God, to give to him the glory that is due to his name. And the reason given is that the hour of his judgment has come. So again, the, the message of the gospel in now, in the future, specifically at this time, the good news is talked to. Here is the judgment of the Almighty God that is being poured out, one judgment after another, upon humanity, those who are rejecting Jesus as Savior. 
And the purpose of that judgment is to wake up the rejectors so that they will turn to him. Listen to the good news. There is a way out. There is a way out of your depression. There is a way out of your darkness. There is a way out of your lust. There is a way out of your anger. There is a way out of your anxiety. There is a way out of your pain. There is a way out of your jail cell. Jesus has opened the door through faith in him. The door is wide open. And anytime we feel like we're stuck in this prison cell or that we feel that we're still shackled in some way, we're the one that's in there playing. He and he alone is the way out. And this is why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. Because again, the, the answers are not out there. The answers are right here in regards to his nature, his character, his name, the hope that we have in him, this good news, the good information that we need to hear day in and day out. Fear God. Don't fear your circumstance. Don't fear the devil. Don't fear man. Anytime that our fear is attentive elsewhere, it leads us away from God. Have respect for God. Be in awe of him. Give him glory. Even in his judgment and justice. Worship him. Don't worship the, create, the creature. Don't worship Satan, but worship him who made the heaven and the earth. He is the creator. The sea and the spring. And again, you're watching the earlier judgments. God has poured out his judgment in the heavens, on the earth, on the sea, on these springs of water. And we're going to see more of them as it comes up. Now another angel follows, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, the great city, because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Here's, here's Babylon. In the New Testament, there is one mention of Babylon outside of Revelation, and that's by Peter when he said, he's telling those that he's writing to, those in Babylon greet you. So it's seen as a, as a code word for Rome. And that's the only mention of Babylon in the New Testament outside of the book of Revelation. Here, this is the first time where it's showing up in the sense of, there, here's this proclamation of judgment against Babylon, that it has fallen, that it is destroyed. We'll get into the details of it when, once we hit chapter 17 and 18 of Revelation. But it's kind of, okay, if that idea is missing from the New Testament so much, why is it such a big deal in the book of Revelation? Why is Babylon such a big deal when it comes to humanity right before Jesus returns? And that's because you have to go back to Genesis and you watch Babylon in its foundation as human society in rebellion against its creator. So you go sit in the roots of Babylon, in Nimrod, in the Tower of Babel. You can sit in Genesis but then you really have to fast forward to, you have the narrative of Genesis, right? In Exodus, the family of Jacob, so the nation of Israel finds himself in, in Egypt. In Exodus, you have the beginning of that, that the Jews are now enslaved in Egypt. You have God deliver them out, demonstrating himself to be God. So all the imagery in Exodus is replaying again in Revelation in the future. Once God brings them faithfully into the promised land and he tells them to have no other gods, what do they do? We watch these cycles. We watch the Jews continually turn to the creature rather than the creator. And this ends up being images for our own hearts and for our own culture. But by the time you fast forward the narrative and God gave predictions of this to Moses in prophecy to the nation of Israel of what was going to come if they turned to idolatry when they were in the promised land. And God uses this nation of Babylon. So 2 Kings 24, 2 Chronicles 32. You watch Nebuchadnezzar come down as a pagan king used as the instrument of discipline against his own kids. And it is horrific. Same horror that we're looking at in Revelation. 
Sit with Jeremiah. Jeremiah mentions Babylon constantly. Why? Because Jeremiah is a prophet of God in the culture that is sitting in rebellion against God. He is known as the weeping prophet because he is proclaiming God's message and people are not listening. They're continuing to reject and God uses Babylon to destroy the temple, to destroy Jerusalem. You sit with Jeremiah in Lamentations and you listen to him lament. Jeremiah 50 and 51 are specific prophecies that we'll get into in regards to the fall of Babylon. Isaiah 13 and 14 are others. You sit with Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah has a lot to say, Jeremiah has a lot to say, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah. You want to know the impact of this pagan nation, Babylon, upon the Jews? You go sit in the Old Testament, and then you start to get a flavor of what's going on here and what God is talking about in Revelation in this proclamation that it is falling. Babylon represents, as Nebuchadnezzar, that that single man as, as emperor, that future Antichrist. Babylon represents a government in opposition of God. Babylon represents all pagan religion in, in opposition to the true good news. So here's this proclamation that Babylon has fallen, but look at what it says. She has made all the nations. You have drunk the wine of the wrath of the fornication of Babylon. And here's, here's how the sentence breaks down. Fornication is dealing with adultery. In the Old Testament, idolatry. Anytime you worship anything else other than the true and living God, this, this is adultery, this is fornication. So the reality is that Babylon, in all of its forms, all throughout history, Every single human being has drunk the cup of this lie and this deception and this idolatry. Every single one of us has been guilty of worshiping, truly bowing down our minds, our lives, even physically, to something else other than the true and living God. And this, this whole idea that there's wrath that's associated with it, God's God has a very holy and just wrath against sin. It's in the Greek, it's this word orge. It's, but there's this word that's used here is, is passionate wrath. Like God has an emotion of anger towards sin in our lives. And it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's hard to understand. It's hard to wrap our minds around but again, when God created us in his image, God, God has emotions. Yes, he knows the beginning from the end, but our God has a passion for us. He has a, he has a righteous, passionate anger towards anything in our lives that would cause us to be separated from him in any fashion. At the same time, he has a passionate, sacrificial love towards each one of us, right? He loves me because he loved me, and because he loves me, he has washed me. But as I engage in ideas and meditations and words and actions that are contrary to him, he has a passionate anger against those things. He has a passionate anger against Babylon's system of lies, whether it's religious, whether it's government, whether it's idolatry. I mean, you sit in this language. I, just by the culture that we live in, we sit in ideas that are in rebellion against God, just by osmosis, so to say. This is, this is the culture in which we've lived in. Um, this is the time that we live in. And our culture gives us permission to do things that are contrary to God. Yes? You go sit in Victorian England, in Victoria area, uh, era morals. Was homosexuality okay? Was it a, an okay thing to test out culturally? No. Is it okay today? Yes. What happened? 
My, our culture gives us permission. That is just one example of an idea of drinking something that is identified as, as that creates the emotion of wrath in God. And again, there's a, it's something that is forced upon us. It's something that every single human being is drunk from. And the only thing that frees us from this wrath is Jesus. Because God's wrath was poured out upon him on the cross. And through faith in him, God's wrath is removed from us. And when he looks at us, he does not see our sin. Praise God. Third angel. This will be our last one. Covered this last week in regards to the mark of the beast. But here's this warning. Again, this is is the... um, This is why so much fear and weird teachings are associated with the mark because of the judgment against anyone who takes it. None of us want to take it because none of us want to suffer these things. If anyone worships the beast or his image, receives the mark, which again, it's, it's either the image of the beast, it's the name of the beast, or it's the number of the beast, 666. We talked about that last week. Number of a man short of God's perfection. Look at, the, look at the judgment. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath. And again, this is the passionate wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength, which means unmixed. Back in that day, wine, you'd pour wine and you'd, you'd mix it with water to dilute it. So the imagery is God's wrath being poured out in full strength. And if you want to remain in rebellion to God... All of those who remain in that condition will drink this cup. Again, all of this is imagery. God's unmixed wrath. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of, his, of, his, of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image. And whoever receives the mark of his name. We want to comfort ourselves and limit what is being proclaimed here. There are many teachings that hell is not eternal. There are many teachings that this is just imagery and not reality. There's teachings, and, I, and I've said this too, you know, death is a separation from God, so hell is defined as that eternal separation from God, yet it's being proclaimed here uh, that those who are cast into this lake of fire, it's in the presence of the Lamb, in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of the holy angels, Psalm 139, David is writing in the psalm, Lord, is there anywhere where I can run from your presence? He even says, even if I descended into hell, there you are. God is present everywhere. And again, this gets in back into the information of good news. It is good news that God judges evil. But we sit in the, the cry that all those who are in who have not willingly bent the knee to Jesus, that they'd hear that gospel, that they'd hear that good news, that they'd respond, that they'd believe, that they'd obey, that they'd serve, that they'd fellowship, that they'd defend. Here's the patience, here's your endurance. We are to keep God's commandments, we are to keep faith in Jesus. There's a specific blessing proclaimed in the future that from this point on, those who die, those who are martyred for their belief and faith, who refuse to worship the creature, those who die as a result of that faith, there is a blessing and favor. And this is the first time in Revelation where the Holy Spirit is directly quoted. Yes, says the Spirit. There is a promise of rest from their toiling, from your laboring, your works, your actions in the name of Jesus are going to follow you. 
Whenever I read the bad news, the consequences, I always start getting a little bit depressed. I was telling the group earlier, I had a, I had a Zoom call with two of my best friends from high school, college, on Thursday. Their faces pop up on the screen, and I see all this gray hair and these wrinkles, and oh my goodness, we're getting old. But here's what's really cool. They, they reached out because both of them, they're on their journey of faith. And again, I sit in a lot of historical, you know, friendships and relationships. And every time, every time I think about, you know, my friends, these guys, these girls that I love, that I want nothing more than for them to know Jesus, to respond to him, to obey him. For these two guys, one of them was, you know, raised as a believer. The other was not. Both of them had their time. Gordon uses this phrase all the time of, you know, why didn't you get saved sooner? Well, because it wasn't your time yet. And again, as they've gone down the course of life, Jesus has chased them down and saved them. And the reason for the call was because they have a, a dramatic shift going on in their life right now that is all because of God. And they're, they're seeking to submit themselves to God in faith, in the good news, in hope, in joy, in the fear, in the timidity and they reached out to me, not just as a friend, but just as to bear that testimony, to share in fellowship what God is doing right now as they're at the very head of um, this, this new journey and this new thing that God is doing in their lives. So for me this week, just, you know, I'm sitting here meditating in the message of the gospel and all of its different facets and then God sends to me the message of his good news in a specific circumstance in the lives of two guys that I love. And it causes me, you know, the, the emotion. I'm, just, I'm sitting there smiling. We're talking back and forth. It's all about the Lord. And the, the, the internal thought towards God was just, thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for chasing my friends and saving them. And then at the same time, Lord, there's so many more. Again, I, I have friends from high school, college, guys and girls. I have no hatred for. I only have love for them. And I want nothing more for them I don't want anything else other than for them to hear the good news about who Jesus Christ is. And I trust that God honors that prayer every time I think about those individuals. God leads me to pray for them. God, forgive me for my stupidity in their lives. Use me in whatever way that you're willing to use me to be light in their lives. Send your children into their lives so that they'll hear the good news. So that they'll hear that not only are you the creator, but that you are the savior. Not only are you the savior from sin and from death, you're the provider, you're the helper, you're the healer, you're the friend. You're the reason, you're the hope. You're the, he is everything. Worship team, come on up. So Jesus, we, wanna, we, want, to, we want to know you, Lord. I want to abide in the information about you day in and day out. Lord, I know that it almost seems like a cliche words coming out of my heart. But the good that I have experienced in life, I know that it's from you. Lord, you have given me good friends, you've given me a good family, good wife, good kids, good parents, good in-laws, good brothers and sisters. 
all this goodness that is in my life, Lord, I know that it's from you. I see, I see the damage, Lord. I see, I see the damage that sin caused in my life. I see the damage that sin caused in, in friends' life. I see its impact in the world. All I have to do is read the headlines, Lord, and it's, it's depressing and it's miserable because there's so many things that are not necessary. I sit in Revelation, Lord, and it's not necessary that anybody takes the mark of the beast. Because you are clearly known. You have clearly revealed yourself through your creation. You have clearly revealed yourself through your son. You've clearly revealed yourself through your word and through your spirit. When I pay attention, I see your goodness in everything. It is very hard for me to see and your goodness, Lord, in judgment. I want evil to be totally done away with. And it's hard for me to understand the hardness of the human heart when confronted by you that still says no to you. So, Lord, I'm praying for myself. I'm praying for my brothers and sisters here. I'm praying for my friends, Lord. When we are confronted with you, may you give us soft hearts. Lord, I'm asking for a gentleness and a softness. towards my wife, towards my children, and my parents, my brothers and sisters here, those that I work with, Lord, those that are a part of the body of Christ, Lord, I'm asking that you would cause me to meditate on the good news about who you are in them and that you would enable me to be light to them, Lord. Forgive me when I've hindered the good news in the lives of people that you've called me to image you to. Cleanse me, Lord. Change the way I think. Give me that new heart. We turn to you now in worship, to fear you and to worship you, to give you glory. We turn to remembering your body and your blood through communion, that good news. We turn to the fellowship with you and with one another, Lord, as we, as we finish singing, may you fill this place with your joy and your laughter and your, your healing, Lord, your encouragement. Fill us, fill this place with good news. And as we leave here, Lord, may we go and serve the gospel to humanity. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.